that's where the magic happens is in these dangerous zones when we're seeking truth or seeking, you know, our own personal truth. Pepper for Your Steak is an adult podcast for those aged 25 years and older. Scientists and doctors tell me that that's the age that your frontal cortex is finally fully formed, whatever that means. Supposedly, that's when your brain is finished cooking. I- I'm not recommending anything in here, and I certainly don't accuse anybody of anything. This is all a work of fiction, fantasy, and entertainment. Enjoy. Holy buns or balls. My name is Maverick Matthews. This is Pepper for Your Steak. Episode 4, Phase 2. Uh, this time we have an interview with Nick Hinton who has written a book on Saturn and some of uh, his observations and mostly cataloging a lot of cool anomaly. Now, the important thing to remember about this episode is it is a thought experiment. So if you find yourself getting upset with any of the content, you're clinging to your reality a little too closely. Just relax and imagine. Let your mind wander. Here we go. Maverick Matthews, Pepper for your steak. He will be the new thought movement people. See, we live in both a very fragile and precious experiment in democracy, and we live in an empire that is experiencing profound decline. So, so you're saying the reptilians are luring humans to like Hawaii to vacate to vacation spots? Because you know, to live this life, you can't live the life everyone else lives. You're not going to be partying on the weekends, you're going to be performing on the weekends, you're not going to be watching the big uh, game on a Thursday night because you'll be in a club. You have to have that mindset that you don't belong, you don't go to the rhythm of the rest of the world. Episode four, uh, phase two, pepper for your steak. My name is Maverick Matthews. Uh, this time we're coming to you from the Shadow Valley Lodge. <coughs> Excuse me. Winter has finally come to LA. Uh, I guess you could call it winter. It's in the low 60s today, but it's been down in the 30s. It's been relatively cold. People here act like they're in fucking Antarctica dressing up. <laughs> in so much clothing, it's ridiculous. But it's great to have a seasonal change, and it's a great time to light a fire in your fireplace or put a fire on your computer. You got, I mean, you got to do what you got to do and curl up with a book. And uh, if you want to push your psychological boundaries a little bit, you might want to curl up with something that's a little fringe, a little more, uh, something you may not be ready for at all, actually. <laughs> but once again, regardless of uh, of how you feel about the content of things, it can always help sharpen your perspective. So blah, blah, fucking blah. Uh, I discovered a, an author who wrote a really fringe book, and we actually have him here. His name is Nick Hinton. What's going on, Nick? Hey, how's it going, man? How you doing? <laughs> you ever get tired of doing these like fake intros? <laughs> no, I, I've kind of perfected the art from looking at my dad's sales calls. Oh, wow. 
that's okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, so you um, would you like listen in when he? I mean, it's hard not to hear him because he was always like the office is right next to the kitchen and the kitchen's right by the family room, so you could always pretty much hear him on business calls all day. Oh, that's awesome. So, so this is like most of your childhood. He worked out of his out of y'all's house. Yeah, uh, for a while he did it, um, but once like laptops and stuff became popular, you know, then he made a home office. Oh, that's amazing, man. So subconsciously, this stuff's just been programmed into you. Yeah, and honestly, I didn't really realize it until right now, but I think that's where it comes from. Because <laughs> I, I try and mimic that, I realize. I mean, modeling is one of the first things that we do subconsciously. I have a one-year-old son, and all, I, he just it, it makes you realize some of the dumb things you do real quick. Because he, he, for some reason, he picks those out and starts copying those. <laughs> <laughs> but it More is... So than the good ones. It was yeah, instead of the good ones, and he'll he'll always do it like when company's over, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's fascinating, man, because you have had kind of a meteoric. I hate to even use that trope. Let's think of a better one. Uh, you've had a crazy kind of a pop here in um, attention, and you've had to adjust to it. But it sounds like you've adjusted to it pretty easily, thanks to your training from your pops. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. I used to hate getting on the phone, but once all the interviews started happening, I just, you know, I always wanted to do this. So I was like, I literally just have to jump right into it and just make myself prepared. There's no practicing. So, yeah. Do you, I don't know. I kind of just, I kind of just started winging it one day and it all started working out. So, <laughs> Do you remember like a breaking point, like where, like a particular incident or anything where you're like... I don't know. I, I, I remember uh, at different points in my life, for, for some reason, there were also phone calls. Like the cabin we're in right now, I was terrified to make the call to try to rent the place because it wasn't for rent. I just, my, it was for sale. And I, I had to talk the guy into doing it. And I remember thinking to myself as it was happening, I was like, this is a turning point in my life. Yeah. Uh, do you have that? Do you remember that at all? Or sometimes it takes a while perspective to see it. I mean, I feel like there's been a bunch of different turning points. I mean, there was definitely a turning point when, you know, the whole viral phenomenon starts happening. Like, you can definitely feel a shift there. But there's been many, many turning points in my past where I was like, okay, this is another level up. This is another level up. This is another lesson learned. But I can't pinpoint a very specific one. I've literally been trying to, you know, manifest my dreams for like probably 10 years now. And, you know, a lot of people have different ideas of what that means, that word manifest. We're going to talk about a lot of words that have uh, unfortunate subtext, maybe, nowadays. Uh, I think yeah. this is one of them, right? Yeah, manifest for sure has a woo-woo connotation just because of, like, books like The Secret and stuff like that. I mean, I personally, I think The Secret's a good book to start off on if you want to learn manifestation, but it's definitely not the whole, the whole feel it's just kind of like surface-level knowledge. Dude, you just nailed it on the fucking head, and I think this is going to be the whole theme of today's conversation, is that when you really get into esoteric and occult knowledge, like there is an intentional presentation of a surface material for the masses, and then if you prove yourself or your cup ready and empty and really work hard at it, maybe you can begin to get a little bit of the real shit. 
exactly how initiation works, so that's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's bonkers, man. So let's get into your book here. Um, I, I don't have a copy. I haven't gotten a copy yet, but we'll, I definitely look forward to reading it. Can you uh, just give us like a synopsis of it? Yeah, so the basic gist is that um, a couple of years ago, maybe five, six, seven uh, years, I freaking discovered <laughs> that there was a giant 20,000-mile-wide hexagon on top of Saturn. And so... There were plenty of people before me who were studying this, but it was never, like, sufficient. Uh, like, there wasn't enough information for me to be satisfied, so I just kept digging, digging, digging. And, you know, what a lot of people have noticed is that if you draw some lines on the inside of a hexagon, you get a two-dimensional view of a three-dimensional cube. Right. And so this leads into a whole rabbit hole of, like, you know, there's cubes and a lot of significant places and a lot of it's associated with a lot of different ancient religions and a lot of these ancient religions used to worship saturn saturn's name used to be el back in the day and so you have gods like elohim and you know just the standard el but um yeah so this led me into just a lot more stuff like i kept seeing the black cuban movies and um you know, like, just cartoons and stuff like that, and just, like, everywhere in pop culture, like, a lot of musicians use it, and, um... It's everywhere. It seems, yeah, it's everywhere, and it seems to always be associated with, like, time. It's like, even in the Avengers movie, it's called, like, the Tesseract. Right. Or the Time Cube. And then, you know, there's a giant cube in Transformers that, like, yep. creates the Transformer that brings life to the universe, and then... Oh, no, so it's, like, this god-like, you know, very powerful shape and so, you know, the more I dug, there's associations <coughs> with uh, quantum computers. D-Wave has a giant black cube quantum computer that the uh, creator of it, Gordy Rose, he says it's able to interface with parallel universe. So throughout all of my research, I kind of came to the conclusion that we live inside of a simulation type reality, and it might be shaped like a tetract or time cube, a four-dimensional cube. I think a perfect way to illustrate that, too, is in the movie um, Interstellar, where Matthew McConaughey, he's, like, going through that wormhole by Saturn, mm. and then he ends up in a test rack at the end of the movie, which is, like, this... Have you seen that movie? Yeah. I don't. I mean, yeah. only only twice, uh, but it, it was... You know, my, my problem with that movie was, like, they used a lot of music to make it very emotional, and that took away from my intellectual sort of digesting of, like, the ethos of it. Uh, because I, I connected with it super emotionally, having like lost a parent, so I, I had a it, it skewed my like ability to really focus on you know the science aspect of it, which is actually what I'm more interested in. So, right, right. But so sorry, but I mean, did you notice that though? They got real emotional with it. Yeah, I think a lot of the music was references to like 2001 Space Odyssey. Because 2001 Space Odyssey is another one that deals with that giant black. Obelisk. It's not a cube. It's like a giant rectangle. Yeah. In, in 2001 Space Odyssey, but the original novel actually had them going to a moon of Saturn, and at the last minute they changed it to Jupiter for the movie for some reason. Well, that's another thing, man. Is like, uh, oh god, there's so many directions we could take this. <laughs> well, well, actually, they say it because they didn't have like the cinematic technology to create Saturn's ring, so it's easier to do Jupiter. But who knows, man? I think. 
Stanley Kubrick was getting too close to the truth, and that's probably why he died early. We will have another podcast on media for sure. Oh my god! Because I mean, I mean, this yeah. is what the industry I work in, right? So I have a little perspective here. But I want to stick yeah. to what you just said. You just made a perfect segue um, when you when you were talking about the rings. They couldn't do the rings. There's a book out there called Ring Builders uh, by a, a previous NASA scientist. Have you heard of this book? Yeah, yeah, and it, he he supposedly has photographic evidence of like these giant spaceships, like mile mile long spaceships, like building the rings. Right, and incomplete rings supposedly. Pictures of yeah, in, incomplete yeah. rings. You, you've, but you've never read it. I have not read it. I've just dug into it a little bit. I, I have, I have a huge problem with procrastination, so I'll like get into a book, feel like halfway through, and then start another one. It's kind of a bad habit, but I'm a jack of all trades, but a master of none, I guess, when it comes to knowledge. That's okay, man. That's how. That's the ro- the road to philosophy is a long one, and uh, you know, you you have to become intoxicated with it. You know. Right. I can't. Okay, so interestingly enough about this book, this book is actually kind of mythical. I have recently become obsessed with collecting rare books because I had a son and because I realized, holy shit, not only are books in general rare now, but these are the preservation of ideas which people might want to stamp out or may just be good ideas that need to be, that, you know, this might be the easiest way to pass them down, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh,. And so I've started collecting these rare books. So I immediately looked. I, I wish I had the. Hold on, let me type it in real quick. Uh, ring builders. Um, see. Ringmakers of Saturn, I think, is the actual name. Ringmakers. Yeah, that sounds right. Ring. Because I just want to give credit to the dude. And now I'll be honest yeah. with you. I haven't tried that hard. I tried a little bit to find a PDF, which I couldn't. Okay, the guy's name is Norman Berggren, uh, and they're from photographs taken during the Voyager 1 flight to Saturn in 1980. Uh, yeah. A reader of this remarkable book sees that one of the photographs shows a ring that is incomplete. That's, that's from Google Books description. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's such, an, such a flippant way to be like, oh, hey, strangely enough, there's an... <laughs> Our whole physics are different. <laughs> right. I mean, a lot of this stuff is like literally right in our face, and it's, it's no secret. It's able to be found. It's just people aren't aware because, you know, there's so much going on. So people that really don't have time or even know where to look, you know. But it's all right there. I mean, like I said, Gordy Rose in a conference literally straight up said that his new quantum computer can interface the parallel worlds. And then people are like, Oh, Mandela effect's fake, you know, it's false memory. And then you're like, but there's literally scientists out there staying straight up. Like even the scientists at CERN, you know, the Large Hadron Collider where they smash atoms together, they're like, we're literally looking for mini black holes in, in other dimensions. And people will still say that other dimensions are a, a silly idea. Oh, man, it's just... What do you, I don't know, I guess it is a natural force, and we'll get into that here in a second, because the balance of all this stuff, right, there has to be a natural force that, like, wants to keep you from leveling up, that you have to fight against, right? And that actual fight, that fight is what creates the strength to be ready for the next level, I guess, is like a basic super layman's explanation, right, of why good, good and evil have to exist. Yeah, there has to be something to push against. 
Well, if you wouldn't know your own abilities. And and so, what's pushing against it seems like most of us now in Western American society is is it's a it's is our psychology. It's a full on psychological battlefield. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, our I mean, physical. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that we're facing off against is ourselves. You know, it's the ego. I think the ego is a part of that the matrix in a way. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, this book we were talking about earlier, The Doctrine and Ritual of High Magic uh, by Eliphas Levy. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Uh, it mentions some stuff about Saturn in it, and I wanted to run it by you. But Oh, awesome. Yeah. But, uh, oh, fuck, sorry. There's a tractor outside my fucking cabin right now. Can you hear that? <laughs> no, I can't hear it. Uh, it's just like... Uh, like I said, those two opposing forces, there's always going to be something new. How many times have you been on a call with uh, with somebody and the phone gets weird right at the interesting part? Oh, I mean, me and you had that problem when we were talking the other day. Yep. And then with Sam Tripoli on the Tin Foil Hat podcast, like every time I mention the Matrix, my phone and Skype just shut off. <laughs> Don't. <coughs> I was drinking water. Don't mention that here, please. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it it, there, it. Okay, so I guess what I want to say is, um, what I'd like to do now is get a little deeper into this, and it goes into like symbols and um, the surface layer of our reality, and whether or not you believe in spirits, and what 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 dimensions you believe in, or what planes do you believe there are. I'm curious, what do you think in terms of um? How would you describe the nature of our reality from, uh, you know, a relative scientific standpoint? Ooh, okay. From scientific standpoint, which I'm not too good at because I consider myself like woo-woo or you know a little bit out there or fringe. But I guess scientifically speaking. Well, I guess really let me uh here let me let me back up a little bit. Let me back up, and I kind of. Well, that's fine. I can. I have two good scientific explanations that kind of make it seem like a simulation. The first thing is that our brain is literally always and only just receiving, you know, sensory data from your five senses, and that's coming from, you know, the interface of our atoms interacting with, uh, you know, the other atoms, the electromagnetic fields, and atoms are 99.99% empty space. So literally. Everything that we perceive is just electrical electrical signals in our brains that are being decoded, and we see it as you know reality. But literally, that is mostly empty space, and our brain is only able to perceive uh, like less than one percent of the light spectrum, or maybe it's like three or something. But I know it's a very very tiny amount, and so in that sense, we're living in a very small bubble of reality, and our brain is almost like a computer. Yeah. The, the first person I heard articulate that idea really well was David Icke. Have you heard his explanation of it? Yeah, and he talks about those rings on Saturn, too. He says it's like a, a broadcasting signal. And so what I thought about that hexagon on top of Saturn, or he, he says um, the rings are like a broadcasting system and they're amplifying some frequency coming from inside of Saturn. And so what I kind of thought with that giant hexagon on top of Saturn is that you know, if you study cymatics, the, uh, the science of how sound affects matter in a medium, 
sound, certain frequencies can actually create shapes. Like if you have a plate of sand next to a speaker and you play a certain frequency, you can get certain shapes, one of them being a hexagon. And that comes from a low, uh, low frequency sine tone. So I think that there's, you know, some maybe a low frequency sine tone being amplified through the ring, which this all sounds very, very crazy, but that frequency is literally what's hijacking our brain and keeping us limited to a very, very small portion of reality. And sine, you know, the sine tone, if you look at the sine wave, it looks like a serpent. Um, the sine wave is also the time wave. You know, we're born into sin, so we die. That's what the Bible says, but we're also born into time, so we die. And Kronos, our Saturn is associated with Kronos, the time god. Absolutely. Man, you so could... It's all, it's, all, it's all a little bit out there, but all the symbology lines up. You couldn't have segued to this better, man. Okay, so this uh, little tidbit from this audiobook is three minutes in, okay? So to get there, we have to go kind of deep. It's a long quote, but it's worth it because it sets it up really well. And what it does is it gives you an idea as to... Um, what Eliphas Levi or Levi is trying to do here. And that's a pseudonym. That, that wasn't even his real name. Okay, he was this French dude. He wrote this in French. There's an amazing explanation of who he was in the introduction of this book. Uh, this particular one is by Mark K. I'll get the actual... There'll be the... The author will be in the, the show notes. But um, let's see here. Let me unlock it. Fucking show show the computer my face. Show the computer my face so it knows it's me. Fucker. All right. Can you hear that tractor? I'm curious. No, I honestly can't. Can you hear any of the buses going by? No. This is so funny, man. I can't wait to hear how the actual audio is. I hope it's good because this has been fucking great. Okay. <laughs> here we go. Okay, so if you can't um, hear, understand what he's saying, just tell me, and uh, okay. I will fix it. Now, now, granted, once again, this is long. Don't be annoyed. It's worth it. Uh, and uh, when we get to the part about Saturn and cubes and stuff, you will know. Here we go. That's chapter 7, Zion, the letter G. The Flaming Sword. That's up. Gladius. The septenary is the sacred number in all theogenies and in all symbols, because it is composed of the ternary and the quaternary. The number seven represents the power of magic in all its force. It is the spirit assisted by all the elemental powers. It is the soul served by nature. It is the Sanctum Regnum, which is spoken of in the Keys of Solomon, and it is represented in the tarot by the crowned warrior with a triangle on his armor, and standing on a cube, to which are harnessed two sphinxes, one white, the other black, who pull in contrary directions while turning their heads to look at each other. The warrior is armed with the flaming sword, and in his other hand he holds a scepter upon which are mounted a triangle and a bell. The cube is the Philosopher's Stone. The Sphinxes are the two forces of the Great Agent, corresponding to Yahin and Boaz, which are the two columns of the Temple. The Armor is the science of divine things, which renders the Sage invulnerable to human attacks. 
the burning sword is the symbol of victory over vice, of which there are seven, like the virtues. The ideas of these virtues and these vices were drawn by the ancients in the form of the symbols of the seven planets known at that time. Here we go. Thus, faith, that aspiration to the infinite, that noble confidence in oneself, supported by the belief in all the virtues. Faith, which in people of feeble nature can degenerate into pride, was represented by the sun. Hope, the enemy of avarice, is represented by the moon. Charity, opposed to lust, is represented by Venus, the brilliant star of the morning and dusk. Strength, superior to wrath, is represented by Mars. Prudence, as opposed to sloth, is represented by Mercury. Temperance, opposed to gluttony, is represented by Saturn, to whom we give a stone to eat in the place of his children. What? And finally, justice, opposed to envy, is represented by Jupiter, the vanquisher of the Titans. The Did you catch that shit? Yeah. No, that all totally makes sense to me. That's freaking wild, dude. So, did you catch the last part that he just drops in there? Like a casual comment. That he eats the stone? Jupiter, who we feed a stone instead of his own children. It's the cycle, man. Like, I don't, I haven't broken this down completely yet, but <clears throat> the cyclical nature of our reality, pretty well established, right? Yeah, yeah. And this could be a trope in symbology that they're passing down through the ages as a solution. So if you look up the stone that they actually feed to Kronos, it's called the Omphalos. O-M-P-H-A-L-O-S. Or Omphalos. And so you have the combination of Om and Phallus, okay? Uh, which both of those words, pretty obvious meaning. And if you read into the history of it, you find out that the Greeks actually had an omphalos in their temple in Delphi. And it's a, it says here on Wikipedia, most accounts locate the Delphi omphalos in the Adion, sacred part of the temple, near the Pythia, the oracle, near the oracle. Okay, stone sculpture itself, which may be a copy, shows a carving of knot net covering its surface and a hollow center widening towards its base. Okay. Wow, I need to see this, dude. If you just go to Wikipedia and type in Om Phallus, uh, it's amazing. And if you if there's a story of how Zeus decided where to put the Om Phallus. Check this shit out. Zeus sent two eagles across the world to meet at its center, okay, known as the navel among uh, the navel of the world. It was a widespread belief that Delphi was the center of the world. According to the myths uh, regarding the fun, uh, founding of Delphi, when, do, uh, when Zeus launched the two eagles from the two ends of the world, they met simultaneously because they were flying at equal speed. They met simultaneously at a single spot. 
So he's like, I'll find the middle by sending these guys in equal directions at equal speeds where they meet. That assumes the world's round. That's interesting that they say that in Greek mythology. Yeah. Um, um, are you sure that it didn't say Saturn was the one he feeds the stone to? Well, it says he feeds it to Kronos, and Kronos and Saturn are the same thing. Yeah, you said Jupiter by time, but maybe that was just by accident. Oh, it was. I, I definitely misspoke, unless I was reading. Uh, and then it could be in here that I misread something. But yeah, no, no, it says Kronos. So yeah, Kronos, Kronos, the god of time, who supposedly eats his own children, and after it happens six times, the cycle happens six times, his wife wraps up this special stone known as the Omphala Stone and fucking feeds it to him. Right. Okay, so what if that means... If we can find the magnetic divinic energy point where we want to protect ourselves from this uh, Saturn energy, okay, by uh, by a special means, because what the fucking Greeks thought they could do is they put their oracle, the oracle of Pythia, right next to it. So they're like, well, this is the spot where there's going to be the least interference. Yeah. I just discovered this today, thanks to you, looking into shit yeah. for, stuff for the show. That's fascinating. Honestly, it could mean that. Or what I was kind of thinking is I just wrote um, a new thread on Twitter about the black goo. And <laughs> it's pretty out there. It's pretty fringe. But it's like supposedly these aliens came here like 20,000 years ago. I mean, this is I got this from uh, a German biologist that really believes this stuff. And he's freaking, he's fascinating. I forget his exact name right now, but I think it's Harold something. But um, he talks about how they arrived in black asteroids a long time ago. And then some of those asteroids have actually been put into, like, holy places. And so when you go into holy places, like these huge cathedrals, you don't actually feel love. The energy you're feeling is fear because you're like, oh, I have to bow down to this god, and it's really the false god of Saturn. And, uh... Yeah, so there's even like a meteorite in Kaaba, which is that giant cube that the Muslims walk around. So yeah, man, that is like it's totally possible that there's one group of people that follow these uh, this belief system, and they've actually been described yeah. historically for a long time. You know. Yeah. Uh, and so I've been I was always trying to figure out like what is it about, like what are they trying to achieve. And it's the misidentified theory that you can uh, page, you can uh, give your patronage to Kronos, to Saturn, and prove it by doing even some really heinous shit, and he'll have pity on you because he's known as the god of aging. Yeah. So it's an attempt at immortality. Yeah, yeah, and I think they do these things in exchange for power because Saturn's also the god of limitation, and he's like the master. He's you know he's the master of judgment, but also the master teacher. Like if you learn to to master that limitation energy, then you become you know a teacher. And uh, yeah, so yeah, maybe they are. Maybe they're going about it the exact opposite way where they don't have to be disciplined to overcome the matrix. They're actually just trying to hack it. Yeah. They're basically just trying to hack it, do things that do heinous things in exchange for power over the matrix rather than just mastering it. 
Yeah, because if I mean if if this whole circle theory were were true, then like it, it, any negative energy which were magnified in the world would help serve the same purpose of just disrupting the people and keeping them in the cattle state. Yeah, yeah. Right? Fear governs. <clears throat> yeah. Man, what a trip. So like have you heard what do you think about like um the ancient Mesopotamian Sumerian theories on origin and how it kind of ties into this pretty clearly if you just decide to say that, well, the people who are projecting that and controlling all that are the sky gods of ancient Mesopotamia. Right. The same yeah. things uh, as the Rishis, you know, in India. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they easily could have been fallen or, you know, like, like aliens from another planet or what people that study the Bible call fallen angels. Um, I definitely think civilization was seeded from an alien force. You know, civilization is not natural. It seems, you know, why would people that belong in this planet destroy their own planet just to live there? It doesn't make sense. We're always doing things that we don't want to do. But, you know, the whole point of this, you know, we're talking about manifestation and mastering the reality, you know, there needs to be something to push up against. So if there is a God, he may have set up this whole game or this challenge mm. so we can find out, you know, what we're capable of. <laughs> Yeah. You know, that's so dangerous, too, because you hear about uh, people who get into this uh, real dark magic stuff and they, they believe they're like, oh, it's just don't worry. It doesn't matter if we hurt people. They're just avatars. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's what do you think about that ideology? Well, yeah, I mean, so I kind of do believe in like solipsism, I think. I think that idea is dangerous, but I think it can make sense that everything's a projection of your own consciousness. If we are all, like, sparks of God or whatever, if we all have God in us, well, then everything else that is projecting from us is a part of God. And so that's not a reason to treat people like they're not real. It's more of a reason to treat them like yourself, and that's why you love your neighbor. Right. You So you so they could be in your imagination, but they're part of you, so why would you hate yourself, you know? Right. Right, it's sort of like uh, if I mean this is kind of this one theory is that consciousness has has always existed because nothing can ever be created or destroyed, but you know where the rub comes in is that supposedly somehow consciousness either discovered or created reality as a way to experience. Yeah, yeah, and that experience is us <laughs> exactly and so i love what alan watts says when he says that we're basically you know we're all god who has splitted himself up into you know an infinite amount of parts so he can get to know himself and experience himself from you know an infinite amount of points of view and so he's just he's playing hide and go seek because he got bored one day you know if you know everything and you live all of eternity you're going to want to, you know, you're going to get bored. So he's playing hide and go seek with himself, and he's just really, really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, novelty is key, right? To, uh, I mean, there is some, there's a clouding of judgment that comes when you get emotional. That's one of the things they t say when you're, you know, as you study towards becoming a mages, 
is that like one of the first things you have to strip yourself of is connection to emotion. But if you're not trying to be a magus, if you're just trying to experience this life honestly as a creation of the divine energy, you know, uh, novelty is pretty key. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I mean, even the even the Buddhist monks, they 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 talk about non-detachment. Yeah, my main thing with them is like is the same rub with the consciousness experience. Like, if I am consciousness experiencing this reality, I'd be pissed off if I got stuck in a monk and just sat on a hill. Yeah, I would love that if I was totally at peace <laughs> and you know you know and I just. <laughs> There, there'd be no problem. You wouldn't ever have a negative thought in your mind. You'd just be like, it's all good. Like, I have everything I need. Yeah, that's like, that's I'm a great place to start. But, I mean, like, your consciousness is like, yo, man, I, I'm still curious what it feels like to ride a go-kart. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but, you know, I think those people have been through, like, so many incarnations that they're just, you know, Oh, okay, 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 okay. So you're saying... Yeah, they want to transcend this dimension, so they have become masters. And you know, like I was saying earlier, I think the ego is kind of like the programming from the matrix in your own mind. So if you overcome ego, there really is no need to feel negative emotions. You know, it's just true love. Yeah, exactly. That's what you know. In that in that super long Elifus Levy quote, it says, uh, "Ego is faith that's been perverted." Okay. You know. Faith. That's really that's, interesting. Yeah, super. He's like he's basically describes all the opposites and their planetary alignment, right? So, uh -huh. man. So I kind of uh, two ideas that I came up with just last night <laughs> was I was thinking about that Alan Watts quote about how God's playing hide and go seek with himself, and he's really good at it. <laughs> It's almost like it's almost like this reality is that paradox of what happened if God created a rock so big that he couldn't move, you know? Like what if that's what the matrix is? He created something that he's not even you know, so we're like in this in this deadlock or whatever where you know, it is possible to transcend, but it's also really, really hard, you know. We made up ourselves the biggest challenge. And then I was also thinking I, I just want to hear your opinion on these two points. And then I was also thinking, you know, if it really is a simulation, and if God really was bored at one point, you know, if you play a video game, we play video games because they're more exciting than real life, right? Okay. So if that's true, we could maybe assume from that that, you know, this reality is more exciting, this simulation is more exciting than base reality. So, like, if we really were God and we were bored and we're just sitting in pure eternal light, that might be a lot more boring playing video games. Mm. That actually is the monk versus the go-kart argument that I posed earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at a certain point, at a certain, at a certain point, you just you turn off the video game and you go get some coffee or something. You know, I don't know what yeah. it was, but I've never had like the overwhelming addictive personality, you know, where I can't uh -huh. control something. So it's hard for me to identify with people who like get into the game for like a week and don't leave the room you know i yeah, did that yeah. maybe when i was like a kid sleeping over at my friend's house but it was more about this activity during the sleepover than the video game you know what i mean right well, i don't know did you ever sink into that hole um 
I can't say I really did. I mean, I loved I loved video games as a kid. Like me and my dad would play Super Mario while my mom was in the hospital with uh, you know my having my little brother for the few days that she was in there. And then when she was like recovering, we would just be in the basement playing Super Mario. And that that's one of my like fondest memories. And so I'm still obsessed with Super Mario, but um, <laughs> like yeah, I haven't I haven't played video games in like years. I just I I just think they're really fun and cool though. Yeah, I guess in, in all honesty, I did have maybe a Game Boy addiction a little bit, but yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I have no urge to play them now because I'm so obsessed with nature and trying to understand, you know, what's happening to us as a society and how you can maybe alleviate a lot of that by being in nature as much as possible and like maybe even, I don't know, figuring out what your rituals are to put you in nature. You know what I mean? I mean, the whole reason I stopped playing video games is because I sold them for <laughs> money because I want I wanted to experience real life, you know. Yeah. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know how you want to put it, but money is kind of like, you know, a life force of experience in capitalist society, I guess. Yeah, you know, I spent a lot of years broke, forty, to be honest, um, and. I lived in Los Angeles homeless in a Jeep with my dog. I traveled the country on less than minimum wage. Uh, whatever experience you can carve out of this reality, it's fucking worth it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those, those experiences definitely don't cost much, but those are, those are also some of the best. So they don't all take money, but... No, nah, but they take know, some is. no matter what. You know, they don't take zero. yeah. Yeah, it all takes energy. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I guess I wasn't. The point I was trying to make wasn't that you ha that that you um, can do it for free. I'm saying it matter. It it just depends on how badly you want to do it. Right. Yeah. Uh, because what you'll note, what you'll find, I guess, really quickly along the way is you'll 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 be immediately questioned as to how much you will accept. Uh, in detriment of your own character in exchange for the experience, right? Yeah. So let's just use the example of, uh, of you moving to Hollywood. You know, you got this big book tour, you got this big agent, and uh, you move out to Hollywood. As soon as you get here, somebody takes a shine to you and they're like, hey, this is the old Hollywood story, man. Everybody knows about this, right? Hey, Nick, yeah. if, you know, if you uh, cast and couch it with me, I'll make your book a movie. And you're like, what? It's about Saturn and stuff. It's already real. And they're like, still, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, honestly, I would do it, dude. I, I've always had that dream. Ah! I've always wanted to make a movie about these things. And actually, like three years ago. Oh, my God. Dude, I can't. You know, I can't release this now because all that's going to happen is a bunch of fucking creepy L.A. people are going to listen to it and be like, fuck, how do we get this guy's number? <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you know his Name deleted. <laughs> uh, forgive my ignorance. Uh, remind me? I mean, I, I didn't really know him, know of him either, but I guess he has a Wikipedia page. But <laughs> one, time he one time he emailed me and was like, hey, I would love to turn your Saturn uh, theory into um, a movie. And then I kept coming up with different ideas, and I guess they just weren't good. Because I'm, I'm going to 
I'm going to bleep that name out, but uh, just for your safety. But, uh, oh, okay. Man, that's amazing. But what did, so what was the point? He wanted to make your book a movie? Well, I never had the idea to turn this book into a movie, but I always wanted to make a movie about the series. Kind of like, um, or what did I say? I said I wanted, I, the book wasn't supposed to be a movie. I wanted to make a movie about the series. But it, was, it would be kind of like Interstellar or 2001 Space Odyssey where it's all veiled and coded. Right. Like a giant metaphor. <clears throat> yeah, let's move in that direction, man. So like all the codes and secret stuff that's hidden around us in these, you know, secret societies and their rituals and what they're doing. It's all about symbolism, right? Yeah. So what, what what's the move here? Like if this is true and I'm not saying you have an answer, maybe you do. Uh, but if, you know, what do we do? If we really live in a, simulation controlled by Saturn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think it just comes down to, it's all the average stuff. It's still self-discipline and learning to make your dreams come true. I think that life's a stage and we all have a role to fill. And mm. then, you know, hopefully by the end of your role, you figure out how to leave. You figure out how to exit the stage. But I don't know for sure. I really don't know. I, I think I think that all you can really do is just do what's best for ourselves you know you don't want you obviously don't want to go out and do anything stupid because you live in a simulation you know it's, it's not that it's fake it's definitely real it's just real in a different way where this isn't the end of the road but it's like you said it's kind of like a testing ground and so you need to pass the test you can't just get out of the classroom yeah it's purposeful somehow and we want to know the fucking reason so bad and it's like what this what this book that I referred to earlier basically says over and over is like for, if you know the purpose you die. <laughs> He's like you can't you can't know the purpose. Well, one of my favorite quotes is that life is not a question to be asked; it's a mystery to be lived. Right, that's good. Who's that? Honestly, I forget. <laughs> you gotta start remembering these, man. <laughs> So are you thinking about starting your own podcast? Tell people the good news about Saturn? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Spread the good news about Saturn. I'll start my own church. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I have this idea that like the one of the ways we can – I don't want to use the word fight because we're, I'm not going to fight against any giant cabal or control mechanism. I'm here to just be a good servant. But – one thing we might consider, or if, if you saw it in a movie, this is what the character in the movie would do, he might start using their symbols uh, against them. You know, like... Yeah, yeah, like you usurp it, or yeah. use it ironically. Right. What's the move in terms of actionable stuff we can do? What Do you think about that? Do you think about, like, I don't know, how... Is it worth so the that fight? Makes sense to, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Um, like I said, Saturn's the god of limitation. And right. So if we're in this, li- if we're in this limited reality, and the whole goal is to become a master or a teacher, you know, the whole goal is to overcome the limitation, to be self-disciplined, to learn to manifest in the matrix. 
Yeah, that's the way to be the Jedi, right? Is to understand the nature of the storm around you, but still not be moved by it. Yeah. Fuck, I just felt like a glow in me when I said that, because I don't think those were my words. <laughs> I can't take credit for that. I quoted somebody for sure. I like that. That's fucking, that's, you know, Miyamoto Musashi type stuff. I probably stole it from him. <laughs> Do you know who that is? Yeah, so, uh, no, no, no. He's this Japanese swordsman that Joe Rogan's obsessed with. And I, he wrote oh, this, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, Book of the Five Rings. It's an amazing book. Understand the nature of the storm around you, but still not be moved by it. Uh, anyway, free plug for him. But, He's been dead for 600 yeah. years. <laughs> but um, if, if it is a simulation that is, you know, partially inside of your brain, you know, how it's electrical signals, I think your thoughts directly influence your life. So that's part of discipline. It's disciplining your thoughts is the first thing, because whatever you think about, becomes your habits and then your habits become your reality so how do you do that honestly for me it was affirmations and writing down goals and i think writing is like a form of magic in itself because hermes orthos whoever you want to call him he was the first um magician but he was also the first scribe so mm. you know i think writing in itself is a hermetic art and when you write stories they literally shape reality. Like all these stories that we have in our libraries, and, so, and a lot of them have been turned into movies. You know, that's what shapes our culture and shapes our beliefs about the world. And those are our archetypes. You know. Hell yeah. Yeah, man, you're you're right on there, um, and that's why the control of media—not to turn it back to darkness—but is so important. And what you choose to right. feed yourself is so important because you are choosing how to program your psychology and right. your future. But that is projecting your future. And a lot of people have a hard time. This brings it back to the manifesting in the very beginning of our conversation, what that word means. And a lot of different teachers can break this down for you creatively, scientifically, you know, any way you want to hear it. But until you have an experience personally, you won't really believe in this. You'll be like, I'm reading the book, The Secret, just a different way, you know? Yeah. Have you... Yeah, no, you definitely, you definitely start to experience uh, weird coincidences when you get deep enough down the rabbit hole that kind of confirm things to you. Yeah. So, I mean, have you, have you had... Like, could you be more specific about maybe one that you've had that was, uh, you know, one of the things I've heard, okay, here's, here's a better question. One of the things I've heard about experiences like this is that you shouldn't talk about them. Have you had, have heard that? No, no. Hmm. I could see why though. I mean, some of them won't make sense to other people and they'll lose their magic. Yeah. Maybe you should keep them to yourself and experience it in the moment. But there was one that really proved to me that either writing is magical or that you know, there's a divine spark in me or that God's a real thing. Because when I first read about, um, well, the thing that triggered it was I was reading in the Bible it said God created the world through his word and God was the word. So, you know, that comes all back to vibration and sound and sound creating reality and like frequencies like best with us. But besides that, um, well, and actually real quick, in kinetic, if you play the sound of the Hebrew vowels, 
next to like a plate of sand or in water or something like that, then the shape that forms is actually the same as the Hebrew vowels. So like, are you serious? Yeah. So these sounds are literally creating shapes in reality. Whoa. So when I discovered all that, I was like, maybe words are a hack to the matrix. And yeah. I decided, I decided writing was kind of the same thing. And I knew about Hermes. And so I wrote, I was in a very bad place and I wrote a letter to God, but it was in a story within a story. I was writing about me, writing a story, and in that story, I was writing a letter to God. And in the letter, I was just really pissed off at him. I was like, give me all the answers. I need to know if you're real. I need to know what the hell is going on because I'm not having a good time. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and then in real life, I was working at a greenhouse, and uh, this lady I always talked to, she was kind of like, not older, but I was like 17, and she was like, maybe late 30s, and she would always just, like, talk to me about her dreams, and I would kind of interpret them. But then one day at work, she's like, hey, my friend, my roommate, keeps having a dream about a person named Nick, and at first she thought it was her son, but I told her about you, and now she thinks it's you. So I go to their house, and she hands me a letter, and she's like, this is from God. What? And, I swear, yeah, I swear to God, when I go home and open it up, it says, read Jeremiah 3, to verse 33, 3, and... I was already obsessed with number 33 um, before this, so I knew it was, like, real. And I don't know if you've seen my profile pictures, but they all have my 33 hat. Yeah. And uh, so, but the, the verse literally says, call unto me and I'll give to you all great and unsearchable, or, yeah, I'll give you the answers to all great and unsearchable questions or something like that. Hmm. So it literally, in, in God-like fashion, he answered my question without answering it at all. And I was just freaking mind-blown. Dude, uh, as you told me this story, I, for some reason, it was resonating in my head, this quote over and over and over about whether or not we should keep stories like this secret. And then whether or not, this is this is what the second thing that occurred to me, whether or not we should keep components of our personality secret, like let's say you had another secret number which was way more secret, right? And let's just uh-huh. say, let's just say that number was an unusual number. Like, uh, so let's pick one, like uh, you know, five, uh, uh, five ninety three is a good one. Okay. Yeah. But you never told anybody. Except when you were writing things down in your journals and you kept these private and secret and you knew, knew nobody ever saw them. I, I, you know, As you were telling me the story, I was like, holy shit, this means we have to have secret divination points to use as survey rods to check the reality of shit. Mm-hmm. And to see if things are good or bad, right? Yeah. But that, that number one is just a real basic version. You know, keeping it secret and then looking for it in your divination or, or, or whatever ends up happening. Yeah. And then so I was thinking about, yeah, you have to keep that secret shit. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier. And then it reminded me of this quote in the Bible from Jesus. And the first part most people know. And it is, uh, do not cast pearls before swine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know that quote? Yeah, I do. And I do agree with that because, you know, 
think about when you're at a bar or something and you're trying to talk to people about this kind of stuff. They're like, yeah, 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 whatever, dude, you're crazy. And it's just like you're just wasting your energy. Right. So when when I crossed paths with you, I was like, holy shit, I might be able to have like an interesting conversation with this guy. And to be honest with you, this is one of the reasons I came to Hollywood, and it's a bad reason, because, it, and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, but it was to get involved in a kind of conversation that I perceived might be happening here, right? And I think most of it is kind of a myth. Uh, it, that conversation happens everywhere, but you have to have a pass into it, and that is the, like the hierarchy of our society. So you can get into the combo any way you want. And there's a lot of different dark fucking rooms in there where there might be creeps from Washington doing who knows what. And then on the other swing, on the other side of the mansion up there in the rarefied air, you have, you know, amazing people like Hunter Thompson writing in one of the rooms and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Up in that top region. Yeah. But it's like the way you get there has to be covered in a a veil of secrecy and you pierce up the veil, right? Yeah. So the rest of that quote, I wish I knew the marker, but everyone knows that. You can just Google that first part, do not cast pearls before swine. Yeah. The rest of that quote goes, do not cast pearls before swine, lest they trample on them and turn before you and devour you. Damn. Yeah. So not only is it a warning like, hey, these secret things that start happening to you when you start experiencing your reality in like a real weird way or, or even a fringe way, special way. Yeah. A ma- you know, I hate to use the word magic, but that's what it is, a magical way because it's a special way that you've taken the time to cultivate an understanding of, right? You're tired of stumbling around the paddock. You're going to draw pictures of the walls at least or maybe even tinker with the you know, fixtures of the gate. And look at the lock real close. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm waxing here, but... Yeah, protect yourself, my man. You know? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I also, you brought up David Icke earlier, and yeah. I love what he has to say, though. He's like, he said he's not afraid of anything, you know? He's like, I don't live in fear. You know, he's like, I don't attract, you know, law of attraction. He's like, I don't attract negative events to me. He's like, I'm protected. Right. Because he doesn't fear these people. Yeah, so, I mean, it could be it could be both, you know. Well, if it's like nature, it's probably like a super nuanced combination of everything. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know? I think the world. I think the world is a lot more disorganized than we think it is. Yeah. Well. And a lot more things fall through the cracks than we think. Yeah. Well, I also think that we're so in our own heads. I can say this for myself, that we. It's hard, you know, people say, oh, the world revolves around you. You know, how, are, does your, does yours not? Like, can you get outside your dome and, like, look around? Could you teach me how to do that? You know what I mean? Um, I mean, like, the Buddhists, they say that, like, one of their meditation techniques is to first love themselves. Like, they encircle themselves in love, and then they'll you know, do their immediate surroundings and then they'll think of their, like, entire family and then, you know, up and up and up until it encompasses the whole entire universe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's one way to get out of your own little narrow point of view. Oh, certainly. The thing, the point is we have a lot of methodologies for people to try to do this, right? 
And it's yeah. about how devoted to the idea you are. It's that same idea yeah. we've been throwing around, right? Yeah, man. Well, dude, this has been this has been great. Anything else you want to get into, like you know, buzzing around in your head? Um, not that I can think of. I mean, the one thing I was going to mention about you know writing is that. Oh yeah, we uh, didn't... there's actually there's a lot of authors who've actually had their stories come to life. So that's not like when that first happened to me, I started researching more. And I was like, this can't be something that's only happened to me. And, like, Edgar Allan Poe had a story come to life. You know, the guy who wrote The Titan, that story literally came to life in the form of the story of the Titanic. Or, not the story, the real-life event. And then uh, Philip K. Dick, he wrote a story, and then he literally lived it out. He met the characters from his story, and that's, that's all in his exegesis, exegesis or something like that. Hmm. He talks about the, how that happened to him. So yeah, I literally think that writing stories is, is just a really powerful form of magic. And if you want to achieve your goals, just start writing them down every day. That's a perfect way to, you know, get your mind focused on what you want. And then if you want to compare it to video games again, I think it's almost like the auto-aim uh, in like Call of Duty or whatever. You know, there's an auto-aim on all the enemies, but instead you're programming your brain to auto-aim at, at the right opportunities. Like you'll start noticing different things because you're focused on different things. Like instead of the negative, you'll see the positive. Right. You know, uh, Anthony Robbins, I don't know, I think incorrectly, but I still like the name of this uh, phrase, called that the reticular activating system. And it yeah, make, I think you're right. It's like uh, when, when, when you buy a car and then all, all of a sudden the car is everywhere. Yeah. And they were always everywhere. It's just that you didn't have they say Huxley talks a little bit about this too. He's like, you know, the restriction valve of your mind is like a faucet. It can only let so much through. And it's been really restricted down so that you can quantify everything that's coming in. Yeah, like I said, literally the brain is a filter of information. We're not seeing everything that's out there. Yeah, that, that whole light spectrum and, and existence spectrum thing is really something to think about, man, and just sit around and meditate thinking about. It's so... Just that one point is crazy, that we know there's right. that much spectrum out there that we don't have any contact with. Right. And so I believe, you know, there's all these fringe people out there that think they can shift dimensions or, like, jump to different parallel realities. Well, I think that is, you know, and if you want to put it in a very simple way, that's totally real because all you do is shift your perspective and all of a sudden you're in a different world. I think it was Emerson or Thoreau who said... uh you know, it's, maybe it was, uh, who's that one guy that studied the Dow? Uh, Dwyer? Wayne Dyer? Yeah, Wayne Dyer. It might have been him, even. I, I can't remember. I know all these quotes all floating around my head, but like I said, I can't ever remember the specific person. But it's like, the thing, or the world doesn't change, or like, uh, the things that you look at don't change, it's the way you look at them. Mm, the frame. Yeah, exactly. I've I've I latched onto that metaphor a long time ago. Is the idea of how you frame, like the kind of framing you put on your reality determines how you think of it. Right. And it can still be bad, and you just have to put a good frame on it. Like, and that's the most difficult yeah. part. I forget who said this one too, but someone was talking about how if you put on 
you know, rose-colored glasses. That's like looking at the world through the frame of love. You know, you can put on some glasses with a red tint, and then everything seems more beautiful. Yeah, and you'll hear that as a trope within popular society where people are using it negatively, being like, stop, stop looking at the world through your rose-colored glasses, you know? It's like, be, yeah, more, be yeah. more realistic, you know? It's like, why? Yeah. What's real? Yeah, exactly. When people <laughs> tell me that, you know, achieving huge goals isn't realistic, I'm like, all right, so are you telling me Steve Jobs wasn't a real person? Because that, that's, that's pretty real. It's out there, you know? It's obtainable. Yeah, man, I've heard that my whole life about being an artist and just being an outside thinker someone who just wants to question things and like look for alternate routes, just alternate experiences. It all comes from experience, really. Once you get addicted to having new experiences, it, you it's really hard to just follow the status quo. Yeah. How did you get that? Um, I think it was just an awakening. Like I was just sick of living the same life um, that, you know, wasn't – it wasn't a fun one. But, I mean, even before that, I had always kind of just thought that I was going to do something big, but I didn't really know how I was going to get there. And so there was like a three-year period where I just totally gave up. And then, I don't know, something clicked in me one day where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I have to learn, you know, how to make it happen. So I can't just, like, wait around, you know, and wait for it to happen to me. I have to make it happen myself. So I literally just started searching up. What is the science of success? Like, that's what I Googled. Are you serious? The thing I found, yeah. That was the, the first thing I found was Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Wow. And so I just, I listened to that whole audiobook in one night, and I was freaking mind-blown, and that's when I started just, you know, grinding. Hold on. You, like, he just, he just grabbed you, and you were super inspired? Yeah, exactly. That's fucking great, man. Awesome. Yeah, see, that's using the internet. To manifest. I kind of do the same thing. I'm obsessed with this guy named Les Brown. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, I've heard of him. He, you know, he, his, some of his newer stuff I'm not a fan of, but his older stuff, when he's like in the zone, it's amazing. It's just like that Napoleon Hill. All those guys from that era, there were way more of them. And then there were a lot of charlatans too. Yeah, yeah. But there were just more, I think, of those kinds of people just trying to spread a message. Don't you feel? Yeah, don't you feel like that? The new thought movement. Say that again. I said the new thought movement. That was like a huge, you know, that was like during the one of the golden ages of like prosperity of America. And you think it was related to how many people were out there just like pushing this message? Oh yeah. Why do you think we don't have those people now? I think the powers that be are more obsessing more over control, but I think people are waking up again. I think it's just, like you said, it's a cyclical nature. So, you know, we're going through ups and downs constantly. I think we're coming back to that, though, hence why podcasts like these are becoming really popular. We will be the new thought group of people. Yeah, man. Do you think of yourself as 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 that, a pioneer? Like the guy who's, do you, do you think of it as like dangerous frontier territory? Yeah, but I try not to think about that so much. I think, you know, like I said, I try and focus on the positive. It can be scary. Well, I mean, anything in life that's worth living for is going to be scary. You know, you want to ride that go-kart. Well, there's danger involved. <laughs> yeah, there is danger. Yeah, I guess the whole idea is to just, like, be 100% aware of the moment you're in. And if it's chaotic, still be chill. And if it's awesome, still be chill. I think that's why we um, 
I think that's why we respect people who are super uh, balanced when crazy things are happening to them, like such so, just like yeah. like celebrity. But there's so yeah. many fakers who who try to be like hard, you know. Well, dude, you're not a faker, Nick. This has been awesome. This has been really good, man. Thanks a lot for uh, for sharing your knowledge, and uh, we wish you the best. Come back anytime. Can I plug something real quick? Fuck, you plug whatever you want, brother. Okay, well, first of all, follow my Twitter and Instagram, N-I-C-K-H-I-N-T-O-N-N. And if you're looking for novelty, um, follow the Randonut on Instagram and Twitter. And that's, you know, the, and then R-A-N-D-O-N-A-U-T-S. It's a really, really awesome uh, application we're working on. Right now we just have a web bot, but we're working on making an app. But what it does, it's a quantum random number generator that creates locations on a GPS. And when people go to these completely random locations, they have really, really weird, meaningful coincidences. Not all the time, but there's a, there's a lot of crazy stories. And forgive me if I'm wrong, the idea is that when you use true randomness, uh, you can get to a place where maybe your probabilities aren't as controlled. What, when you're using the app? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you follow through and you go out and do this. Yeah, so the theory is, is that um, basically we live in like a stasis field, which is a set of predetermined probability tunnels. Like you can only have so many choices in your day-to-day routine based off of your, you know, your, uh, like your habits and your subconscious thoughts and like your surroundings and external influences and people around you, et cetera. And so when you're using quantum randomness, it's almost like you're escaping the predetermined nature of reality. So, yeah, it's like you're entering liminal zones, you know, zones where magic can happen because it's a very improbable place for you to be. And some people have compared it to, like, hacking the matrix because, you know, the simulation wasn't expecting you to be at this place at a certain time. But, so it's like, it's just, it's really weird, man. But, um, that's awesome. You know, that goes back to the, the liminal zone thing. That goes back to how we were talking about, um, like danger and truth. So like, like, you know, the danger and seeking truth, they're like having a novel experience. Because a lot of people, when they first try this app, they're a little bit freaked out. You know, they're like, this feels weird. I don't want to go do it. And, you know, that just comes along with, like I said, like anything that's worth doing. It's uh, In the community, we call that the despair memes. And some people theorize that's like the simulation trying to keep you on your path on your normal path and not breaking out or whatever. This is but, an um, this is an archetype which appears over and over and over as uh, the troll at the bridge or the guardian at the gate. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah, descending into the abyss or the adventure into the unknown. Yeah, the the departure through the gateway always has a guardian. And yeah. like it doesn't, you know, you have to remember all this is symbology, right? So that guardian is, you know, psychology's real. That 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 psychological fear you have, that's a real thing maybe. It could be an entity. Who knows? Right. And so, you know, I'll just end it here, but I think it's a beautiful thing that, you know, whenever the world's in chaos, that's when God and his angels appear. Or whenever you really fucked up really bad, that's when you're most likely to pray. 
well, whenever you're closest to death or danger, that's when you feel the most alive. So that's where the magic happens is in these dangerous zones when we're seeking truth, we're seeking, you know, our own personal truth. Dude, thank you. Couldn't have said it better, man. Hey, don't hang up. Uh, I want to say goodbye. Okay. But that's it for the official street side interview. Wow. I mean, I just want to say thank you to Nick. Um, you can get his book at his website. Just Google Nick Hinton. And uh, right now he's doing PayPal Direct stuff, trying to keep it small, but it should show up on uh, some of the major sites soon. Uh, just a word to the wise, there's more more than one Nick Hinton. This one is the uh, journeyman philosopher. The other one is a musician, primarily. I think Nick actually does music too, but the other one's primarily a musician. So when you're looking for him online, don't uh, go to the wrong website. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually at his Twitter right now, and his Twitter is at Nick Hinton, H-I-N-T-O-N with two N's. At Nick Hinton, and you can see a picture of him in his Twitter so that you know it's him. He's wearing a white baseball cap with the number 33 on it and some sunglasses. Okay, so give him a follow, buy his book, and open your mind to the possibilities of reality. <clears throat> Coming soon in a couple days, we have the next music mix. So keep watch for that. Happy holy days. And for now, I'm signing off. Maverick Matthews, Pepper for your steak. He will be the new thought loop of people.